take. I am going to preach a message tonight called God is good. Everybody say God is good. God is good. You know, sometimes we just think about God doing good things. Or, you know, he's a good person. Or, you know, that he can show us good stuff and he does good stuff. But God is good. God is good. And so that statement, those three words, I think can change the way that we see things in our life. Um, and so we're going to look at some things here today. You know, we see enough bad, right? It, why is it so easy to focus on the bad in the midst of the good, right? You know, we deal with this in, in ministry sometimes. I just got done talking to our leadership this past weekend about celebrating, learning to celebrate. Learning to, to celebrate the good times, learning to enjoy uh, the things that God is doing. And many times we see the shortcomings, many times we uh, see the negatives or the things that aren't quite going right. You know, it's just by our nature uh, that, you know, we can do nine things right and get one thing wrong and we'll focus on the one thing that's wrong. And there's a part to that where, you know, you want to fix those things. You don't just want to, you know, I'm, at least I'm doing this right. You know, we want to get it all right. Amen. Uh, but there is a level of focus sometimes that I think is um, uh, that isn't good. There, there's a level of focus that I think is dangerous to us if we just are always camping on the evil that's going on and the bad that's going on. And, and we're living in a, in a world in a day and age and a time and a season right now where we see more than has ever been on the face of this planet. I was just watching a message I shared with a few people. I was watching a message just yesterday on a guy that uh, is ministering at a church out in Texas, and he was talking about the signs of the end times. He's actually preaching a series on it. I've been watching it because, you know, that stuff interests me, especially as a pastor. You know, I've got to be clued in on that. I'm not really a news guy. I'm not really one to just go reading the news and finding out. But current events are important, and, and finding out how they relate to the church and finding out how we uh, can be proactive about things and not just reactive. And that's kind of what we're talking about on Sundays. What is the role of the church in the midst of all the mess that we see? What is the role of the church in the last days? And so he's talking about different things, and um, he was talking about uh, some things that were just super shocking, man. I mean, I was just like, I, I was floored to even hear that he was talking about this stuff. One thing that he was saying was that there are people right now today in the world, in our own nation, that are uh, trying to manipulate genetic code and DNA. Right now, they're already trying to find a way to add someone else's DNA to an embryo. That you have your moms and you have your dads, but hey, if you want this kid to be smart or if you want this kid to be fast or if you want this kid to be tall or if you don't want this kid to have the same uh, medical history that you and your parents have had, then, and we can go in and we can manipulate something that God is creating. God's already doing this thing. And then they're doing transhumans where they are uh, basically creating a bunch of Captain Americas in the world. And America, China, and Russia are in an arms race right now to see who can get there first, who can create this superhuman, literally. They want it fast as this person, strong as this person, smart as this person. And so we just take all the genetic code and dump it in here and see what we 
get, it's taking place right now. It, how many know Jesus is coming back? Amen. We got to be excited that Jesus is coming back. The church is going to be raptured up. We're not going to have to hang around for all this crazy silliness. But, uh, you know, we're promised that these things are going to take place. In fact, let's just go ahead and look here. John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me, everyone say, in me, in me, you may have peace. You know, it's dangerous to be in the world and not in Jesus. If, you want, if you're going to be in the world, you want to be in Jesus in the world. You don't want to just be in the world. And he's saying that in me, you will have peace. Why? In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There are two promises in this verse. There are two promises in this verse. And many times we focus on the first one. Tribulation. Now, he's not talking about the tribulation. He's talking about oppression. And obstacles that come to us in life. That's literally what that word means. Tribulation is just an oppression or an opposition against God's will. So in the world, you will have tribulation. Well, if Jesus said you will have, then there's no, there's no getting around it. There's no shortcuts. There's no take me, uh, take me home early, beam me up, Scotty. You know, I'm done with this mess. No, you will have tribulation. But then he says this, I have overcome the world. So two promises. Number one, you will have trials. Number two, you will have victory. How many of you know we cannot have victory without the trial? You cannot win if there's no battle, right? You know, many of us want great faith, but we don't want the great tests that bring the great faith. You want the faith of Abraham, but you don't want to go through what Abraham went through. You want the faith of Paul, but you don't want to go through what Paul went through. You want the faith of a little shepherd boy at the age of 17 that goes out to face a giant, but you don't want to face the giant. And so Jesus gives us two things here, two promises. He says, I promise trials, but I promise victory. I promise overcoming. Now, the key here is he says, in me, you may have peace. He says, as I've spoken these things. Usually when people tell you about scary things, you get scared. And he's telling us here, I am alerting you of the evil that's coming, of the scary things that are coming, so that you can have peace. Why? Because in the midst of evil, God is good. And I think that's the statement that we miss out on. I think that's the statement that we forget, that in the midst of all the wrong that's happening there's something right that's happening and i want to get our eyes off of the negative i want to get our eyes i we need to to raise up a church in the last days that in the midst of trials and tests and turmoil and the tribulation we see in the world we are able to reflect and reveal a god that is good god is good now, I was blessed to go to some good churches growing up, but I know that there are some churches out there that preach a God that's ready and waiting for you to mess up. That there's a God that, has, uh, uh, that is looking for any opportunity to strike you, to smote you, to smack you, to punch you, to crush you, to break you. 
we have we have taken lightning and it's now a resource that God uses to strike people. And, you know, how many of you have ever made the statement you see somebody doing something wrong? And you're like, I'm backing up because lightning's about to come up in here and is about to light you on fire. About to light your tail up. And we don't we don't realize even in as funny as it is, and even as badly as you think you might want God to light them up. You, some of you going to work thinking, my coworker over here, God, we could use some lightning right about now. Some of you going to work and on the way in the car, you're having conversations and you're reminding God of Moses. And you're saying, now I'm going to remind you about a guy, and I'll remind you of time you swallowed up people with the earth. You used the earth as a pit. And if something was going wrong, the earth opened up and people fell into it and they were never heard of or seen again. How about six feet under? How about 60 million miles under? We, we forgot you were even on this planet before. And so we got to be careful, though, because we can create this picture of a God that's upset, of a God that's angry. Now, there are things that grieve. God, there are things that grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, I have to deal sometimes with this with my staff. And um, some of you might see it every now and then. I try not to do it so much around here. But I can have my, I call it my ministry face. Come up in here, ready to get some work done. He's pointed. And sometimes my staff will say, you know, stay away from Pastor Mark. He's angry. I'm not angry. I'm pointed. And there might be things even that I see that grieve, but I'm never angry and upset about it. I had to teach one time on frustration, and that frustration is okay. It's okay to be frustrated. There are a lot of great things that we enjoy today that came out of people's frustration. They got tired of having to light candles all the time, so they said, we need to find some electricity, and we need to create some light bulbs, and I can just flip a switch. I'm frustrated. I'm tired of standing. I'm ready to sit down. Somebody put four legs on this thing. I'm tired of walking. I'm going to create something that rolls and can take me somewhere, right? Inventions come out of frustration. It's the response to frustration that gets us in trouble. Do I just respond out of anger or do I respond out of problem solving? Okay, this is frustrating. How are we going to fix it? And so I believe that we serve a good God. Anybody believe we serve a good God. In fact, John chapter 10, just a few chapters back, John chapter 10 says this. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. How many of you would categorize all that in the bad column? Right? But then Jesus says this. I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. God doesn't just want you to have life. He wants you to have an abundance of life, overflowing life. Why? Because you are influencing somebody else. I don't want to just give you life. I want to give you life that overflows into someone else's life, an abundance of it. It's hard to give away something you don't have an abundance of. And we are in the earth to give away life and to be a light in the midst of darkness. So right here we see that the enemy is the thief. He's the one that's coming to steal. 
and to kill and destroy. That is his mission. That is his mandate. That is what he is uh, in the earth roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he may devour. He is trying to get people off of their course and their purpose that God has given them. That's his role in life. That's all he's here for, is to undermine the authority of the king and to bring evil and wrong. Even when, you, uh, even when he disguises it like it's something that you might enjoy, it always comes back to hurt you. The Bible tells us that even sin is fun for a little while. But the wages of sin is death. It always pays out in death. It never pays out in life. It never pays out in something that is beneficial to you. It always cuts you off and separates you from God. It's the bottom line. So, we know that the enemy is here to cause evil, to cause disruption, to bring bad things into our life. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Why? Because God is good. God doesn't just do good things. He is good. You, you realize that God doesn't even have the ability to do something evil towards mankind. It's not even within him. There is nothing evil within God. He is a good God. Now, we just saw that we've been promised trials and tribulations. But just because God promises it does not mean that he brings it. And what I have, what I have found out in life is that a lot of believers struggle because we don't know who we're fighting. And if you don't know who you're fighting, you can't be victorious. If you don't know what you're up against, you won't claim victory. The first key is to understand the source of the evil that's coming against me. Understand the source of this trial and this tribulation that's in my life. Anybody ever been through a trial or tribulation? Okay? You laugh because it's like, it's a rhetorical question. Duh, yeah, I've, I'm in one right now, Pastor Mark. Thanks for rubbing it in. But we've got to understand that the trials are not a result of God trying to do something, teach something, reveal something. But could we learn something? Absolutely. Could I grow through this? Absolutely. But the key to growing through a trial is one word, faith. When we get our eyes off of the one who's bringing the trial, it's impossible to keep faith in God. It's impossible. Faith is the very thing that gets you through the battle. Let me put it this way. This just came to me. I'll have to add this in my notes later. Your faith determines the fight. Your faith determines your fight. Now, the issue is, is if we're not focused on the proper source, then we won't properly allocate our faith. We won't have our faith moving in the right direction to overcome the trial and get out of the trial and get beyond tribulation. Remember, Jesus promised tribulation will come. 
Then he promised, I have overcome the world. Therefore, you need to be in me, because if you're in me, you'll have peace. Okay? Look at this in Mark chapter 4. We see an example of this. Mark chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 35, and it says this. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. This is Jesus speaking. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, look at their question. Do you not care that we are perishing? How many times do we do that to God? We're in the midst of a trial. We're in the midst of a tribulation. We forget that he's on the same boat with us. We forget that he's right there with us. But his response makes us think, God, where you at? Do you care that the bill collectors are calling me? Do you care that uh, our, our marriage is in uh, jeopardy? Do you care that my children are acting like this? Do you care that they just fired me? God, where are you at? Do you care? His response to the boat filling with water, his response to the storm coming against them is causing them to have a different reaction to the very one who can change the situation. Do you not care, they say. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? Watch this. How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, you go back to verse 35, and Jesus gave the command to go to the other side. Did he not? Did he say that? Do you believe that Jesus knew there was a storm coming? Jesus is God. He knows all things. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew there was a storm coming, yet still gave the command, let us go to the other side. Now, when he gave that word, that was all those disciples needed to make it to the other side. If Jesus says we're going to get to the other side, that means it, is, it does not matter what shows up in between here and the other side. We're going to get to the other side. But now the storm shows up. The trial shows up. And although they were led into the storm, God did not bring the storm. See, sometimes you'll be led into something that will bring a trial and tribulation, but that does not mean that God is the source of the trial and the tribulation. Now, the disciples' problem was not Jesus. The disciples' problem was the storm. But why are we going to Jesus? Well, you're the one that brought us out here. Right? You're the one that brought us out here. And we do this to God. God, you're the one that brought me out here. We blame things on God because we were, I was just following, I was just being obedient to your will. You said that the willing and obedient would eat the good of the land. Here I am, God. I was just obeying you. You know, Kenneth Hagin has a, 
uh, a great story of this. When he left pastoring, he had a great church and was pastoring. And, and back then, as a pastor, you had what was called a parsonage. They provided a home, so he's not even having to pay for his house, utilities. Uh, you know, he's got a steady income coming in. He's, he's got kids, and so they've got a nice place to live, and God called him out on the road. And so he said, okay, I'll do that. And so he started traveling in ministry, left the pastoring, and now he's having to find his own place to live. Now he's having to cover costs. Uh, back then, traveling on the road wasn't like it is today. He didn't have the $65 million jet plane to run around in. He had, you know, an old beat-up car with, uh, you know, bald tires and having to miss time from his family and, you know, the whole bit. You stay wherever they put you. Not as steady of an income. And so he went to God after a few months of this and said, God, I had all this. I had everything I needed back here. You were supplying my needs. And he said, now I'm going to hold you to your word. You said the willing and obedient would eat the good of the land. Now, if I don't qualify for this verse, you need to show me. You need to show me where I've messed up. And God responded back to him. He said, you were obedient, but you weren't willing. And he said, you know, don't tell me it takes long to get willing. It took me about 10 seconds to get willing. (laughs) Amen. You know, it's so awesome when God reveals to us where we're missing it. Just a little tweak here and there. And then we respond to that and we align ourselves with the blessings that God has for us. Because God is good. God is good. God is not a, a, a God that wants you in lack and wants you in despair. God is not a, a God that's trying to teach you something through sickness and disease or through this financial struggle. God is not a God. Look, all those things I can learn without it. I can learn that God is my healer without ever being sick. I can learn that God is my provider without uh, you know, being in lack. I can learn that God uh, is a restorer without having to lose something. Now, these things come. Trials and tribulations are promised, but we are promised a good God that wants his best for us. I have overcome the world. So these disciples have turned their distress upon the wrong source. And so Jesus' response is, why do you have no faith? Other translations And other opportunities read, why are you of little faith? It was their level of faith that determined their belief in God's goodness. God is good. Whether you see it or not, whether you believe it or not, he is good. But God wants us to build faith that he is good and he only wants his best for us. The bottom line is, is Jesus never had to rise up and rebuke that storm. He gave the word, let us go to the other side, and they were going to show up on the other side, regardless of what comes up. And that's the vision that you and I have to have. That's the, that's the faith you and I have. God led me in this, but he promised he was going to get me through. I believe that God is good, so I'm not turning my distress my, my, and, and my anger towards him. I'm going to remain in faith. He said we're going to the other side. Because God is good. Look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. 
And we'll look at verse 22 here. Y'all getting something tonight? We got to know that God is good, man. This, you're not in this world trying to make it on your own. You're not in this world uh, and, and, you know, the enemy's just beating you down and Jesus is up in heaven saying, you know, wish I could do something for you. The exciting thing is Jesus has already done something. Past tense. And we just got to tap into it and have faith in God's goodness. But God is never the source of evil. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And see now, uh, and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Ever felt like that? <laughs> God's leading you somewhere and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know what the outcome's going to be. I don't know what's going to come against me. Not knowing that the things, uh, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. They're waiting for me. Would you still obey God if you knew there was tribulation on the other side? Would you still follow God's plan if you knew it's, it's going to be rough? God is good. But look at this. None of these things move me. Come on, we've got to have some resolve like Paul had. None of these things move me. None of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race, well, what if he just put a period there? <laughs> Thanks, Paul. You had to go and qualify how I finished the race. I'm just trying to crawl across the line. I'm just trying to show up with all my teeth knocked out and just saying, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. I made it. Devil's been kicking my brains out for 47 years, but I'm here. Praise Jesus. And no, he said, no, you're going to cross the line. You're going to finish the race with joy. With joy, he says. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Why? I can finish with joy because it's a testimony that God is good. Every time a tribulation or a trial shows up in my life, it's just a reflection that I serve a good God that's bringing me through. He's not putting this on my life. We're in a world that's fallen and has destruction all around, but I serve a God that is good. It's a testimony, he says. This ministry which I received from the Lord. Troubles means this. The word troubles there means severe conflict. It means pressure. Either physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Physically, emotionally, or spiritually. God knows that there are troubles. This is the same word, tribulation, that we saw over in John chapter 16. Same word. He knows that there are troubles ahead. But Paul knew he was going to endure through the trials and tribulations because there was life that needed to be given to those people there. He said, I don't know what awaits me, but I do know this. The Holy Spirit testifies in every city and that there's chains and trials. But I don't count my life dear to myself. He says, none of this moves me. Could we walk through life not being moved? 
by trust. Isn't that awesome? It doesn't move me. You can get the worst news there is, and it doesn't move me. There's something else that God wants to reveal through this. And I know, I know that God is not the source of this strength. God is not the source. See, sometimes we do like the disciples. He called me out here, so he's, this is his fault. God, if I wouldn't obeyed you, right? God, if I would have just done what I wanted to do, I had it cushy back in Egypt, right? Back in Egypt, I mean, at least, and you start looking, it could have been terrible back there, but you start, all of a sudden, now we find the positives. Well, I, they were beating my back open, but I had three square meals a day. We start making pros and cons here. We start balancing things, and all of a sudden the negativity doesn't carry the same amount of weight because at least I had this. Isn't that amazing that we get in a new situation that God's called us to, and we start thinking about what the new situation doesn't have that the previous one had? You hated your boss over here, but you enjoyed the paycheck. Now you got a nice boss, but this paycheck's not as good. Well, at least back at that job, you know, I could have pulled up with a terrible boss because I had a great paycheck. Right? That last job, I didn't have to work holidays, but the paycheck was lousy. This one, it's got a good paycheck, but now I've got to work all these holidays. I'm missing all this time. I mean, we, we just always find the mess. Sometimes the mess isn't even finding us. We're finding it. We're calling it out. At least I had this. But God is good. Paul knew that God was not the author of the trials that were presented to him. God was the author of the ministry that he called him to, and he was the author of the gospel of the message of grace that he was proclaiming. God authors the good in the midst of the bad. God is good. God is good, and that is not determined by your situation. That's not determined by your conflict. That's not determined by the signs of the end. That's not. God is still good. God is just as good today as he was in the beginning. There is nothing that you can do. There's nothing that can happen in the world. There's nothing that the devil can do that can change the fact that God is good. He is good. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be to God, who always, everyone say always, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Through us. God's wanting to use you in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the struggle, because God is Good. He always leads us in triumph. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to. To bear it. Have you ever had a coach or a teacher or a boss or even your parents that saw more in you than you saw in yourself? I'm telling you right now, God sees more in us than we see in ourselves. You're thinking you're getting crushed and he's saying, no, you got more left in you. 
That's the kind of person you want to have around you. That's the kind of person. And he's there to spot you. He's there to carry you. He's there to lift the load. when it becomes. He said, cast your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He's qualified to carry your cares. God is good. Okay, I'll say it. God is good. That's right. God doesn't lead you into anything he has not already equipped you to defeat. So you know what that means? If you're in it, you can win it. Amen? I'm in it to win it. Are you in it to win it? If you're in it, you can win it. He hasn't brought you to something. Now, sometimes we end up places out of disobedience, and God still can find a way to get you out. You know, I I have conversations sometimes with people about, you know, should I do this or should I do that or should I move here? Should I marry this person? Should I, you know, and and, and decisions in our lives carry so much weight. Sometimes we give them a little more weight or a little more credit than they really ought to have. But we have important decisions to make in life. And, you know, I just love the story of Jonah because God is so merciful and God is so gracious. God is good. And even when we miss it, he finds a way to get us out. I mean, let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. If that were any of us, the Bible would have ended in three chapters. Oh, you disobey me? Forget it. You on your own. I'm going to do my own thing. But no, he what? Starts over. Why? Because God is good. He shows up and he identifies the consequence of their decision. But then he goes to the stake and says, now look, I'm going to bring someone into this earth by a virgin woman and he's going to crush your head you're going to bruise his heel but he's going to crush your head i'm making a plan because i'm good god is always looking for a way out despite the mess you got yourself in he knows how to get you out i mean if jonah could just straight up rebel against god and say no ain't doing it I mean, Jonah was that little kid that had the knife in his hand, putting it in the electrical socket, and the mom said, no, do not do that. And he said, kids love it. One more time. Get down off of there. Don't touch that. I mean, you know, you, did you ever realize you didn't have to teach them that? You didn't have to teach them to do that. Anybody have to, any parents in here have to teach your kids the word no? No, that came out in saying that one. Nope. No. And in spite of all that, God is good. Even when we're not, he is good. You know, so, you know, I have people coming out, you know, should I do this? Should I do that? Say, you know what, really, when when it's all said and done, Even if you make the wrong choice, God knows how to get you out. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, you might have to do some cleanup. And yes, we want to be sensitive to the the voice of the Lord and the voice of the Holy Spirit. But all in all, God wants to know your heart. That may not be the job that he intended for you to take, but you went there with good intention saying, I'm just going to be an influence for the king. It's amazing what God can do in a place where you messed up. You got yourself in a place that, hey, I didn't tell you to go there, but God still knows how to turn evil for good. 
Love the story of Joseph. Even in the worst conflict, even in a situation where your own brothers throw you in a pit or trying to get rid of you, trying to earn money off of your life, and it takes you way off course than what God had planned for you, he still knows how to turn evil for good. God is so good that he can take evil and turn it back for good. That's how good he is. Everybody say, God is good. God is good. Look, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. A couple more verses here. Ephesians 6 verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principality, against power, against the ruler of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Guys, we got to understand that our enemy is not in the natural. Your enemy is not your spouse. Your enemy is not your kids. Your enemy is not uh, uh, your boss. Your enemy is not your job. The enemy is behind that. The enemy is behind that. The enemy is not in the natural. The enemy is in the spirit behind the natural attack. And when you get your eyes off of what you're fighting, you can't be victorious. You're fighting and you're using energy and you're giving effort, but in the wrong direction. Fighting the wrong thing. We have the weapons to fight off spiritual battles, not natural ones. He's given us weapons. He says, take on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand. There is an armor that God wants you to carry that fights off the spiritual battles in our life. How many times do we try to arm ourselves naturally for a battle that is spiritual? We try to do things in the natural when God is saying, that's not the real. Your your spouse isn't the issue, so doing things in the natural to try to mend that's not going to help. This is a spiritual opposition. And I have equipped you with spiritual weapons. Helmet of salvation. Breastplate of righteousness. The sword of the spirit. The the shield of faith. Look at this in 1 John chapter 5. Closing with this. In the New King James it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Anyone born of God today. You've overcome the world. You've overcome the world. He overcame the world, and through him we overcome. We have the victory that Christ has already claimed. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Your faith determines your fight. Your faith determines your fight. If you lose faith, you lose the fight. If we lose faith, we lose the victory. If we lose faith, then we lose the end result that God already has for us. And see, when we don't realize that God is good, then we can't properly fight the fight of faith. Isn't that what Paul said? I have fought the good fight. I ran my race. I finished my course. There is a fight. And when we keep our faith, then we can fight the fight. Look at this in the New Living. It says, for every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory 
through our faith. Keith Moore says this. Some of you might be familiar with him and his ministry. Keith Moore says this. He says, if it's in the world, your faith can whip it. Your faith overcomes the world. If it's in the world, your faith can whip it. Your faith in God. Guys, in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a storm, in the midst of opposition, that's not a time to get our eyes off of God and get our eyes on the storm. That's our eyes to get our eyes on the one that said we're crossing to the other side. Regardless of the trial, regardless of the tribulation, regardless of the struggle that's coming against me right now, I have my faith in a God that is good. Any level of doubt that you have that God is good will hinder your faith to finish the I'll say that again. Any level of doubt that you have that God is good will hinder your faith to finish the fight. Sometimes we just got to take moments and just reflect on the goodness of God. Just reflect on His goodness. Just reflect on what He's brought you through. Reflect on His faithfulness. Reflect on what he has done for you in your life. Where would you be today without him? And the same God that got you through that can get you through the next thing. The same God that brought us this far isn't going to leave us here. He's going to move us on so we can finish the fight. Yeah, it's a fight. Yeah, there's trials. Yeah, there's some struggles. But God is good. God is good. He is faithful and just to see you through the struggle. Father, I thank you tonight. In the midst of a struggle, in the midst of a trial, you are good. Father, I thank you that we can take moments to just reflect on the goodness of God. The goodness that you have proclaimed over our life. You are good. You are good. Father, we proclaim that you are good. You are God. You are in control. You reign in all the earth. You have already declared our end from the beginning. You have already given us victory. You have already made us more than conquerors. You have already called us overcomers in the kingdom of God. And so we thank you tonight that we focus on the faith rather than the fight. We focus on your goodness rather than the evil of the enemy. We may not know what waits on the other side. We may not understand the trials and tribulations that we're currently going through or that we may go through. But we do know this. We do know that you are good. And your goodness helps us overcome in every situation. So, Father, we praise you tonight. And we thank you. And we give you all the glory. And we give you all the praise. Because you are good. We thank you for that tonight in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.